welcome to the newest episode of Tuesday Conversation with Friends, where you get to hear some amazing music and my chats with those incredible artists. Don't forget to subscribe to this channel, to like this particular episode, and to get notification for future releases. The video format is on YouTube. If you'd prefer the audio-only format, you can find us on major podcast platforms. You will also be able to find social media links for myself as well as the guests on the show. So now, see you inside the episode. Welcome to Tuesday Conversation with Friends. Today I'm with a wonderful pianist, author, composer, pedagogue, and many, many other things.、Uh, we have Rami Barniv. So Rami, so nice to have you. Rami, would you tell us a little bit about yourself for those who may not really have been exposed to your great work yet? Thank you, thank you for having me. And I think you already said it all in the introduction. <laughs> I'm a concert pianist. I、uh, play all over the world. Not in the past year, though.、Uh, I'm a composer of concert music, as well as uh, some uh, Jewish and Israeli、uh, folk songs or、uh, modern、uh, songs type.、Uh, I'm a publisher. I'm a Author, I, I I wrote one professional book about piano playing, the,、right. the art of piano fingering. Right.、Uh, and,、uh, and then I wrote my autobiography. Yes.、Uh, for my first seventy-five years.、Uh, <laughs> you know, Rami, I would not have realized you would have had seventy-five years to write about because you look so young and you're so youthful in your energy level. It's so wonderful, and I want to point out to those who don't know. And this is the wonder of the internet because we're having this interview with me in the United States, and Rami is actually in Israel, and so you spend time both in Israel and the U.S. Also, going back a moment, the piece you heard in the beginning, besides the fantastic playing of Rami, he also was the arranger. That's Piazzolla's Libertango. So, can you talk to us a little bit about、uh, how you began your whole life of music, where you were, as well as maybe a little bit about the piece of music we just heard?、Uh, well, how I began. Yes.、Uh, I was five years old. <laughs> When my brother, my older brother, took one day of piano lessons, proclaimed that piano was for girls, <laughs> quit. <laughs> so I was next in line, and my mother was the teacher. My mother was a piano teacher.、Uh, my my brother continued though with the violin. That was、uh, my father who played the violin and taught him.、Oh. But I started then at age five the piano, and it was a long, long journey.、Yeah. Uh, but music ever since was was music and piano was was my whole 
life. Everything I do is around it. I mean, I do a lot of different things, but all around and connected to it. And one of the things, of course, is composition. Right. And and composition is is composing original also, and composition is arranging, mm -hmm. and uh, composition is also sometimes improvising. So right. there's a lot of uh, uh, things all connected to music. Right, because one of the things I notice about you is uh, your compositions have a lot of connections to who you are, and uh, some of them came from a lot of a Jewish heritage, and some other ones came from very American, a lot of jazz, and uh, and also you know a lot of times people who are classically trained, improvisation. Jazz and those other styles are not our natural inclinations. I'd love to find out more about how you kind of start to venture into this and your connection with those music that maybe kind of that really is part of your personal story, which I think is very special. Yes, as a child, I composed little things, um, songs, and this, but really nothing to write home about. Uh, my father who was also a composer, an uneducated, a musically uneducated composer, hmm. but extremely talented, wrote a beautiful violin concerto uh, that, that was almost almost performed by uh, Yasha Heifetz, but uh, that's a whole other story. All these stories, by the way, are in my autobiography. Right, which, you know, everybody who are already becoming fascinated by Rami, you'll be able to find a link to the book in the description. Yeah, Yasha Heifetz visited Israel uh, many years ago, uh, maybe 75 or more, uh, and, uh, no, no, 70, twice he visited, and um, there was an incident, he played something uh, by uh, Richard Strauss, and uh, there was uh, a ban on his music here in Israel, as well as on uh, Wagner's music. Right, right. And, and uh, people attacked him in the street. Mm -hmm. he, he didn't get hurt. But he immediately packed and left, and, and also left behind my father's concerto that the music uh, was given to him. So that's the story about uh, this. Anyway, what I say, my father was writing down in a little notebook uh, my little compositions. Because uh, at that young age, I, I maybe I, I could read music and maybe I could write, but not as organized and as beautiful. My father had this beautiful um, handwriting in music. And uh, I still have that album uh, till today. I should have actually prepared you could have showed it here. Uh, but anyway, so he he uh, copied, I mean, he wrote down some of my things, but it's, it's, it's not anything good or serious, but it was a, a start. Then I actually, abandoned uh, composition because I was concentrating on piano playing and that takes a lot of time. Oh my goodness, yes. Now, so let's take a moment to talk about what does a lot of time mean? Oh, first of all, practicing, you know, it, it, there's no getting away from it. It doesn't come from the air or from 
you you have to practice and you have yes. to learn your pieces. And if you are a concert pianist and if you are a soloist and you got to memorize everything. And we're talking about a large repertoire because you can go on a concert too with, with near one program. People want to have to choose. So you have to go with two or three programs. And then if you play with orchestra, they want to choose two. And if you play with modern orchestra, they don't necessarily choose the same. So going on a two with three different side of programs and two, three different concertos uh, takes a long time to prepare and yes. to maintain. And and that's like one tool. So uh, and when you you tool the whole, okay. So that that's the preparation and the practice and the learning and everything. Uh, but then comes the the promotion. Now who's going to know about you? Who's going to invite you if, if if you know if you don't tell them that you exist? So that's another part that I had to yeah. do all the selling uh, mostly by myself. Uh, so. And that is all over the world, not just in one. Right. Country. Let's talk about that for a moment, because one of the things about the pandemic that's been interesting is it opened up a lot of communication that wasn't available because uh, I in, for, for myself in for my personal experience is um, for the longest time, um, I didn't have access to the concert buyers unless I went through my manager. And uh, so the whole idea of promotion is 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 a very strange and kind of foreign and but important concept for performing musicians. Can we talk a little bit about your experience and how you approached it and how it worked? And what do you think about uh, what will happen next in this world of concerts? When I started out, uh, it was a, a whole different world, you know, yeah. totally different. And I mean, there was no internet for mm -hmm. us simple people. Right, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and uh, you had to do things by letters. Mm -hmm. you, you, you write a letter to Mexico. Uh, the best case, it takes a month in each direction. And if they answer, they reply. This. So you have to start two years in advance to try and organize something. Then, uh, when it becomes close and urgent, you, you use the phone, but at, at these times, the telephone calls were extremely expensive. Mm -hmm. So uh, it was hard, but I still managed to, to travel all over the world, you know, anywhere, Australia, New Zealand, South America, all South America, Europe, of course, that was nearby. And of course, a lot of the states in Canada. So, but then uh, I, I had quite a nice career going. I mean, I had concert constantly. If I work all the time, what else do you want? You know, what else do you need? And I recorded for CBS. That was Columbia Records uh, mm -hmm. in Israel. And but then came the, the the internet revolution. So it changed yeah. everything. It made yeah. everything easier. You, you could with one click connect with with family friends friends that you uh forgot you had right <laughs> exactly right yeah. which is how this whole thing came about for me and customers and and buyers you right know, managers and stuff like this so it, it became easier to actually promote but then it became easier for everyone so the competition was still that's right always, as, as i'm sure you know too 
mm-hmm. you know. Oh, by the way, I, I was floored with your singing. I love oh, it. <laughs> thank you so much. I really would like to sing some of those arrangements you made, and I like to sing in Hebrew. So we'll connect. We'll do more of that. And uh, for those of you who are who are by now so curious about your playing as far as the concert repertoire, let's listen to Defia's Fire Dance. And I think everybody would be so thrilled because I was thrilled when I listened to it. So that was wonderful, and you know, I remember there was a saying by Horowitz: if he didn't practice for a day, he knew.、Oh. If he didn't practice for two days, his wife knew, and if he didn't play practice for three days, everybody knows. How do you feel if you don't practice for a little period well, of time? You know, 
Horowitz, Rubinstein, and a lot of the great names, They sometimes said things uh, that sounded very profound, but uh, weren't always the way they were, or even the way they felt. Right. But it it was a good, good, good thing to say. Right. We remembered it, right? (laughs) The thing about practicing uh, every day, I'm a fanatic uh, practicer, but I also know that if you don't practice for one day, nothing happens. Actually, you can't practice every single day when you are on a concert tour. You, right. can, you sometimes can practice even for two whole days. I right. mean, sitting on the plane to Australia is, is two full days, you know, mm-hmm. on plane, on a few planes. <laughs> uh, right. it's, and then arriving and then... then it's like traveling to the moon. I don't know. It's, you know, <laughs> new uh, uh, time zones. Right. Lack of sleep and, and stuff and getting used to it and then practice and give a concert. So, uh, you know, okay, maybe you, you're young, you get used to it, you can do it. But uh, the fact is you don't get to practice every day. <laughs> no, I want to kind of take that into a direction that's a little bit different, which is your pedagogy. You started teaching in what we call the adult piano camps. Of course, it's not really camping like just sitting around the fire and have fun. It's really actually intense learning. Can you tell us about a little bit about your teaching philosophy? Yeah, well, it's, you know, I never heard there's a lot of things I never heard about uh, before I uh, went online and, mm-hmm. and, you know, before the internet uh, era mm-hmm. and for I started meeting teachers all over the world. Right. And so I, I never heard about something like teaching philosophy. I, 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 don't, I didn't know what that was. Right. But... Uh, when people talk about all kinds of problems with teaching, and uh, so I said, yes, okay, I do have a philosophy. You student, I teacher. Or I teacher, you student. <laughs> you want to learn, listen, and do, and that's all. <laughs> and uh, I, I'll tell you what they appreciate the most Mm -hmm. Uh, besides my uh, teaching them, you know, my knowledge, my my passing on the information. Mm -hmm. They appreciate the most uh, my honesty. (laughs) (laughs) My directness Mm -hmm. and I forgot. Okay, that's it. That's okay. Okay, here, I got it, I got it. Yes. Ah, I treat, and this is what they also feel, I treat anyone, and it doesn't matter if it's a professional, pianist, teacher, or an amateur, and I treat everyone as if they are the most professional people, and that's the way I teach. I, I, I agree. Don't give them I, yes. discount, and they don't want 
uh, discounts. So I treat them like this. Don't say, oh, it doesn't matter. You, you anyway, you're not going to give a concert or something like this in Carnegie also. No, they, they like uh, my approach. And, I think uh, so. You know. And elsewhere, yeah. They come out inspired. So I know there was a very painful life experience you've had, and it's about your your son. Well, unfortunately, uh, I've experienced various uh, unpleasant tragedies. Uh, another one pretty recently too, but the the, the main one, the main one was uh, the passing of uh, our son at age 15, uh, that was in uh, 1986, uh, our older uh, son, uh, he was a talented boy, good looking, uh, he played the clarinet and, uh, and he had the flu and, uh, for one week and, and that killed him. Uh, after that, uh, you know, you, you have to make a choice. You, you either gonna go with the dead or you're gonna go with the living. Mm-hmm. And um, the choice was uh, to go with the living and, and, and uh, cool everyone with me. And right. Members of the family, my parents, etc. Right. And I know during that time, um, I think being musicians, what we do is to connect with what's closest to us, which you had, you had rearranged a piece, a composed a piece of music, that is, which yes. introduced the music. That's the etude. Yes, but that, that wasn't the immediate thing. First of all, I was scheduled to go on a concert tour. Right. I went to the concert tour, uh, a long tour, like, like, like two, three months. And I took uh, the rest of my family with me so we could be together. Right. And we traveled for, for concerts all over. Uh, then at some point I, I wrote this um, a little piece and uh, dedicated it uh, uh, to my uh, late son. Uh, the, um, the vocalist etude on the prelude number one by Bach. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's an etude because you get to play the entire prelude in the left hand alone. Uh, so Bach is in the left hand and my composition is in the right hand. So let's listen to it.
sharing that piece with us. Well, I, you know, I lived a lot in America. Right. And, and uh, I love American music, uh, especially uh, ragtime mm-hmm. and, and Gersh- Gershwin. Of course. Used, uh, you know, blues as his uh, language of, of music. And uh, that influenced me a lot. So uh, I wrote uh, things that uh, sound a little like blues and sound uh, like like ragtime. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, uh, my background is very classical music, of course. Right. So everything I write doesn't matter. It, it has a sort of a classical uh, flavor. Mm-hmm. And um, my... Uh, influences also Jewish music, right. Israeli music, uh, Eastern, uh, Middle Eastern sounds mm. that go into my music, and uh, and all all the rest of the composers. So uh, it's a mixture, but mainly, uh, you see, the piece we just uh, heard, the uh, vocalist, mm-hmm. Is in none of the two categories of my music. Uh, well, it, it got a hint. It does have a hint of of uh, jazzy sounds, and but uh, mainly my music is either Israeli Jewish mm-hmm. or uh, ragtime American. Mm-hmm. Uh, among the the my Israeli Jewish uh, music is of course the. Uh, seven songs, the song cycle uh, dedicated to the Holocaust, mm-hmm. uh, lyrics written by a Holocaust survivor, and uh, it was performed all over the world and recorded and, uh, by many, many singers, and I also uh, wrote it uh, with orchestra accompaniment, so uh, that's there too. Uh, so it is uh, also another angle of my composition. Now, we will close this program by listening to the Blue Rag. Thank you, Rami Barniv, for oh, joining us. And uh, so we'll close with this beautiful piece of music. Okay, thanks very much.